The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The new chapel was magnificent and nearly perfect in every way except for one tiny problem. There was no way to get to the choir loft. Tiny problem. In 1850, when the Catholic bishop of the then territory of New Mexico issued a plea for a new school for girls to be built, the sisters of Loretto responded to the call. By 1853, their school opened, and 20 years later, they began construction of the chapel. Now, near the chapel's completion, the architect died before access to the choir loft could be built, and the relatively small space of the chapel and its seating ruled out a traditional staircase because it would take up too much room. So the sisters did what any sisters would do, they prayed for nine days to be specific. And on the ninth day of their prayer, a carpenter appeared, equipped with only a hammer and a carpenter's square in his possession. Before long, as the legend goes, the staircase was built and the carpenter vanished just as quickly as he had appeared, all without being able to receive thanks or payments for his labor. So in an attempt to track down the carpenter's name, the sisters sought out local lumber stores to find any recent orders or accounts matching the supplies used in their staircase project. But they found no trace of any such thing. Even more curious still, as they did discover, is that the wood used in construction was not native to their area. Now, you can still visit this miraculous staircase at the Loretto Chapel in Santa Fe. It really is a beautiful space. And this staircase is complete with two 360-degree turns and no center pole for structural support, defying all architectural reason. And yet, for the sisters who faithfully prayed their novena for nine days, 
the staircase and its carpenter were nothing less than a godsend. And they believed this staircase to be built either by St. Joseph himself or by someone sent by St. Joseph. Now, it's fitting that the sisters never knew much about their mystery carpenter, who may or may not have actually been St. Joseph, because we don't really know much at all about St. Joseph, who stands at the center of our gospel for this fourth and final Sunday of Advent. In Catholic liturgy, Joseph's name is mentioned only in passing in Eucharistic prayers with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, and with Blessed Joseph, her spouse. Apart from Mary, Joseph hardly gets any of our liturgical spotlights. Even in our Lutheran tradition, it's icons of Mary that often are seen in our sanctuaries. It's Mary's song of praise that we sing at evening prayer, and it's Mary's feast today that we observe every August 15th. Joseph seems to live a bit in Mary's shadow. Do you know Joseph's feast today? I didn't either, so I looked it up, March 19th. We should probably start planning soon. But if mentions of Mary are scarce in our Gospels, mentions of Joseph are even scarcer still. Mark makes no reference to Joseph, and John, for as detailed and wordy as John can be, only mentions Joseph in one verse. So the bulk of what we read about Joseph comes from these stories in Matthew and Luke's Gospels. And it's really only in Matthew that Joseph becomes a featured player if we can even call him that. Like another Joseph of many years before, this Joseph is also a bit of a dreamer, Matthew tells us. In the midst of a personal crisis, an angel first appears to Joseph in a dream to reassure him. Mary's pregnancy, the angel says, is a part of God's plan of salvation, and her child is the fulfillment of ancient prophecies. Don't be afraid, Joseph. God is with you. Though there would be much to fear with Herod's murderous threats soon to follow the child's birth. But here again, another dream and another angel. Flee to Egypt, Joseph, with your wife and the baby and stay there until it's safe to come back. And when it finally was safe, Joseph dreams still a third time. You can bring your family back home now. It strikes me how Joseph's dreams all stand at early, pivotal moments in the gospel story. Moments that without them, there wouldn't be much of a story to tell after. And these moments show us a Joseph who actively participates in the work and the reign of God. Even if he doesn't fully understand what's going on, even if he doesn't comprehend the magnitude of what is happening in the moment. To borrow a phrase from Martin Luther King Jr., Joseph shows us what it means to be a co-worker with God. Joseph was never the primary character of the story in which he unexpectedly found himself. And his time in the spotlight is incredibly brief. He just 
sort of fades out of the story after a while. Which reminds me of another character we've encountered this Advent season, whose spotlight lasted perhaps just a bit longer, but not that much. Two weeks ago, you might remember, John the Baptist preached on Jordan's banks and proclaimed his message of repentance with a fiery boldness and courage. Last week, he sat in a prison cell, sending a desperate message along to Jesus through his disciples. Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? You can hear the undertones of confusion, disappointment, even regret in his voice, desperate for some validation that he hadn't gotten it all wrong. John never got to see the thing he so longed and hoped for fully come to pass in his lifetime. And there is a sadness in that. And yet, that bitter realization, even from the solitude of his prison cell, doesn't negate his faith in the promise of the Messiah. I suspect that even from prison, John had the inkling that God was still up to something, something bigger than the narrow experiences of the difficult circumstances of his own life. After all, you really wouldn't ask probing questions about something like that unless you have a vested interest in it. It would have been so much easier to just give it all up, to abandon hope. But he didn't. John knew something bigger was coming. Even as he proclaimed, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. John knew. John prepared the way for the more powerful one coming after him, and when his own fiery proclamation faded from the story, John, in his own words, decreased so that the more powerful one could increase. John's and Joseph's stories are not so different in that way. Neither was ever the main character in the unfolding drama. But they weren't exactly dispensable either. Like John, Joseph knew. Joseph knew that he was a part of something bigger, even if he didn't fully understand it or have all the answers. And neither was Joseph's faith and unflinching trust. Joseph knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew the implications were risky in protecting and saving Mary's life and the life of their child. Joseph knowingly risked his own safety in the process. Joseph took risks for the sake of the gospel. Joseph took risks for the sake of the unfolding drama of God's salvation story. Joseph took risks for the sake of the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven and God's reign of justice, mercy, and peace. Joseph became an indispensable agent of God's story. As his wife's song proclaims, God lifts up the lowly. No character is too small 
or insignificant in God's story of salvation. For God notices the lowly. God lifts up the lowly. God empowers the lowly to do great and meaningful things for the building up of God's reign here and now. In John's story, in Joseph's story, and indeed in our own stories, God lifts us up. Wherever we are, whoever we are, however insignificant we feel, whether we think we can make a difference or not, and promises all the same, God is with us. 